Hi, I'm Elise. And I'm Matt. And welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 21, The Maquis Part 2. Teleplay by Ira Stephen Bear and directed by Corey Allen. This episode aired on May 1st, 1994. This week on Deep Space Nine, Cisco tries to rescue Galdicott, stop the Maquis, and prevent a new war with the Cardassians. That's a lot to get done in 45 minutes. <laughs> and maybe it didn't all work for me, but we'll get into it. Like we said last week, we are joined again by friend Tessa. Welcome, Tessa. Thank you for having me again. Well, we're happy to have you back. It's not like I signed up for a two-part yeah. or anything. <laughs> you weren't like, I'm going to make my presence known here. Uh, before we get started, um, I wanted to read a review we received last week. It's titled, The Real Friends Were the Stars. And um, it's a five-star review, and it says, Matt and Elise break down episodes of DS9 like a Klingon dog tearing through a hung of meat, or I imagine. <laughs> I don't know if that's an insult or a compliment to us. <laughs> we love targs we're, we're a pro targ yeah. <laughs> and then it says i like yeah, it i think probably. it's a i think it's a compliment um, i guess puppets don't actually eat so <laughs> check out still great bob if you haven't and you're cool i co-signed that last bit of the the review check out still great bob and that was from wild pretty things so i will say i as we get into this episode of uh, Deep Space Nine, I miss, I know we had that one scene, but I kind of miss the Quark Sakona sexual tension in this episode. We didn't, it wasn't as much as last week. And I felt like the episode was a little more serious, a little less fun. And that was probably part of why. It was more dry yeah. this, this week than the one last week. Like, it wasn't just the Quark Sakona stuff, although I do love the scene where Quark is arguing with her in the in the cell and manages to convince her to give up information. Yeah. Like succeeded where Odo failed. <laughs> level of level of arguing with a Vulcan, which is is quite a feat in and of itself. And I liked the rules of acquisition against like Vulcan logic of it all. But for the most part, this episode was much more serious it didn't feel as balanced as the last episode did i would agree with that and yeah i definitely found myself zoning out a couple of times on this episode which i didn't in the first one i agree um so i was gonna mention this later but i zoned out on some of the monologues that people were making like or when they were plotting things um yeah there was a lot of like what do we know? What do what, we don't yeah. know? Where are yeah. we going from here? <laughs> like, compos- like there's a lot of those conversations, a lot yeah. of exposition. Those, yeah, I, so I was gonna say those questions all sound so like um, existential. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not that interesting. Not we haven't quite gotten to the philosophical. It's more logistical questions yeah. at this point. Yeah, and and I think too, it, it at times felt like because this episode are these two-parter episodes are introducing the Maquis as we talked about before and doing a lot of of heavy lifting in terms of setup for the next successor show to come and everything else. It's like they had this whole like bullet points of things to like resolve or touch on and get through and it felt more like reading like Memory Alpha or like <laughs> Wikipedia about the like politics or like something like that happening the event than it did like good television drama to me was it like a connect Um, the dots more than like an actual coherent yeah like i i think so with with a couple exceptions like i do think um cisco's one monologue after admiral necheyev leaves and and he's talking to kira and has that line that about it's easier to be a saint in paradise but out here on the frontier it's 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 different um still don't love the whole idea of you know the federation kind of colonial sense of this being the frontier and and further from the imperial core and kind of the um coded insinuations inherent in that but at the at the same time i think 
that whole quote about it's easy to be sent in paradise really is quintessential ds9 and it takes kind of the whole wor- world of world galaxy i guess <laughs> <laughs> of 24 24th century star trek and kind of like shakes it up a bit a bit because it isn't that kind of idealized world that you see on on next gen a lot and in in some ways kind of sets up to a lot of what you see in um the first season of of star trek picard to kind of like what what's under the (laughs) 80s carpeted utopia of 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 the enterprise d but and we did get to see ship battle that was that was kind of fun too because we didn't get to see the ship battle last week um so obviously we we had some budget in this episode or when it was allocated but (laughs) yeah i just i enjoyed the first half a lot more than i enjoyed the conclusion it kind of reminded me of the circle trilogy the three-parter that opened up season two where i was really into episodes one and episodes two and then episode three happens and everything happens really quickly to like fall everything in line to move it along and get to our our resolution at the end yeah i feel like i i it actually almost made me wonder if both of these were written together like one episode and then they were like all right here's where the 45 minute mark is this is where we split it into two episodes i i wonder that because it felt like maybe if this had all been one thing it would have felt better paced because we would have already gotten like the Sarkana quirk stuff. We would have had like the cool spy versus spy stuff with gold Ducat. Like we, we all that happens in the first part. So it's almost like they thought of it as one individual piece instead of as two episodes of television. One of which is more heavily weighted with the, like you said, the logistics of moving things around than the first part does. So perhaps that's why it feels weird. That could be it. I I could see if it was together, it wouldn't have felt... Like, it still would have maybe felt uneven to me, but not as disjointed, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah, and and I had the thought, too, when I was watching it the other day, that... I wonder if I would have liked it better if I had watched it right after, kind of like how we had talked about last week about wanting to keep going and being so jazzed to watch it. And if like a lot of, like you say, Tess, a lot of the stronger stuff in the first half would have carried over and I like viewing it as, as one piece. And obviously we chose to do it this way because this is how it, how it aired originally. But uh, yeah, it kind of makes a card that kind of assesses an individual episode that way, at least for me. Yeah, I I just they kept like cutting away from the things I actually wanted to see, like the Quark Sarkana stuff. Like I'm like I don't I don't care about like this depot thing that they have yeah, to go protect. Really like I want to see either. more Quark Sarkana. Like I don't want to cut away from Cisco having this conversation with Kira about you know, paradise and utopia and like, what does it mean to be a resistance, you know, kind of fighter or whatever. I don't want to then, I don't, I want more of that conversation. I don't want to cut away from that and then have like 12 minutes of, of him yelling at a committee. Like, you know what I mean? Like I just, that's kind of how it felt to me is that I was like, you keep moving us towards the logistics and not sticking with the parts of the story yeah, that are really and I think interesting that's probably why earlier today when i i reached out to both of you asking because normally i organize like the outline of our notes and what we're going to discuss and i honestly had like a hard time coming up with how to organize this podcast today and i think everything you a said lot is of this why. episode felt yeah, a lot of this episode felt very yeah. one note. Like it, it almost felt like you when you were sending us the stuff with the notes were like, "Here's yeah, the episode." Yeah, because like I didn't know yeah. what else am I supposed to say about right. the episode. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. But I think you. I mean, there were some good things. No, in it, but, but I think yeah. your point about it being, um, like, it pulling away from the things that we thought would think are more interesting is why I had trouble with that. Um, I just wanted to say yeah. when. Quark and Sarkana are talking and I think it's, is it Quark that says, like, I hope you're happy now or something like that? I just, like, wanted him to break out into Defying Gravity. And if it was any other song, you probably would have got me singing it, but I will, I am not going to attempt to sing that song on this podcast. 
Um, yeah. See, I thought of uh, "Happy Are You Happy Now" by Uh-oh. Michelle Branch. Mm. That's what I was thinking of. So we both That's had a funny. song in our heads. Based <laughs> I actually on listened to it after dialogue. I because <laughs> I had to like remember Get a little it. bit how it's the song started. But um, yeah. <laughs> Huge. I'm a huge Michelle Branch stan. I I will listen to that album anytime. Of I've day. similarly I've <laughs> we'll similarly seen Wicked twice, so I I love it. That so it's funny that we pulled. To wasn't last year the wasn't last year the 20th anniversary of Spirit Room, like Michelle Branch's first ep- first album. Yeah, yeah, time flies. I think so. What I think is that's the Michelle right. Branch song. I yeah, well, it, know. everywhere. Oh yeah. Everywhere, uh, all I is it all I wanted. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, hold on. I know I know the song, but I'm trying to remember the actual name of the song. Uh, goodbye to you is a really good song. All you wanted. Sorry, that doesn't sound familiar. But maybe if I heard it, you would you would know all you yeah. wanted. It's the uh so so, uh. So lonely inside, so busy out there. All I that that song was somebody to care. Yeah, that none of that sounds familiar to me. I have this like oh. <laughs> mental block where I was like, "You hate pop music," and I like didn't listen to it at all, and I just don't know any of those songs. Uh, you should listen to the Spirit Room. It is a solid, solid album. It is. Very, very good. I will say this also hooks back into what Sam and I were talking about in the Star Trek. Sam watches Star Trek episode where we watched mm-hmm. the motion picture where Sam was saying that we should have a Star Trek musical. Yes. <laughs> I feel like, like, I mean, it's like one of the few things they haven't done. Do think, like, why not okay. have Star Trek the, the musical? Four of us could like write it. I just think we need a musical mm-hmm. episode of Star Trek, like, like Dude on Discovery. They have Anthony Rapp. Like, yeah, bring for in a sure. bunch of like Broadway folks. <laughs> Hell, back up an Escalade full of cash to Dina Menzel's house and just ha- do a just whole like ask rent Anthony to get the Anthony rent passed. Yeah, yeah. The other day, um, Matt was either singing or t- reading the lyrics to one song, Glory to Me, and I almost started hysterically crying because <laughs> I was like, this is too Rent emotional. Is a... <laughs> I don't even remember what Rent we were is a musical about. that will elicit emotion. Yeah. Yes. I uh, totally agree. But yeah, hear- seeing Quark do a, uh, yes. do a musical number would be <clears throat> excellent. It would be just really funny if he just like he would do really good at the the Kristen Chenoweth version, like parts of that song. I hope you're happy. I Honestly, hope you're happy of now. all the characters, that's all you're getting. <laughs> Honestly, of all the characters on this show on DS Nine, I feel like he is the one most likely to break out. You into have the song to watch. At any you given have to moment. watch the Deep Space Nine documentary because Max goes like does break into song, and it's amazing. Who plays Rom? It's great. That, yeah. that was Max, that would, right? That would have been my second choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember who's all in. There's like this trio. I think there's trio. Or yeah, like I think. I don't remember of Andrew. Of DS9 actors that. I don't remember is Andrew Robinson also. I think Casey Biggs is in it too. They do this like um, rat pack sort of. Yeah. Tessa, thing. I'll see if I can um, lend it to you on um, Movies Anywhere or something because it's so good. Yeah, I definitely want to yeah. definitely want to watch it. So, Star Trek Deep Space Nine: The Maquis Part Two. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I wanted to kind of keep note of while we go through this episode is the differences between revenge or retaliation and peace. Um, mostly because I think that the characters themselves are saying these words and not really thinking about what they mean. Um what they truly mean like what peace actually is <laughs> so i just find found that a little bit interesting yeah i so i thought about this while watching the episode and i i mean we talked last week about how this episode does evoke a lot of 
real world struggles, especially we've talked about like colonialism. We talked about like the Pakistan, India divide, uh, the North Ireland, Ireland divide, that kind of thing. This really reminded me when, when Ben Sisko says to Hudson, like, you're not looking for peace. You're looking for revenge. And then uh, he says, like, I prefer to call it retaliation or whatever. It really reminded me of uh, this really, really powerful speech that Kimberly Jones gave uh, on. It was she she gave it. It's it's like a viral YouTube video. And I'm sure sure you both have seen it or have seen parts of it. But she gave this speech during the. Black Lives Matter protests back in June 2020, where people were really demonizing the Black Lives Matter protesters because uh, there was some damage being done to property and like there was a target that like was burned down. Oh, I, and I do remember she this. gave this. Yeah, she gave this wonderful speech. And when he said that in the episode, I was I the last line to me of this speech is haunting. And it really reminded me of Ben Cisco really reminded me of it because she says, um, and can I swear yeah. on this podcast? Mm-hmm. I say never fuck shit if I can whatever, or not. Tit, whatever you want. Okay. I was about to say, there's a lot of swearing, which why not? This is a very, like, I would be swearing yes. too. But she said, uh, there's a social contract we all have that if you steal or if I steal, then the person who is the authority comes in and they fix the situation. But the people who, Sorry, but the person who fixes the situation is killing us. So the social contract is broken. And if the social contract is broken, why the fuck do I give a shit about burning the fucking football hall of fame about burning a fucking target? You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and didn't give a fuck. You broke the contract when for 400 years we played your game and built your wealth. You broke the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa and you dropped bombs on us. When we built it in Rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us, you broke the contract, so fuck your target, fuck your Hall of Fame. As far as I'm concerned, they could burn this bitch to the ground, and it still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. And that that has always stuck with me, that line. Like, yeah. That- they are lucky that what we're looking for is equality and not revenge. And that is what I was thinking of a lot in this episode, especially because of that exchange. Like, you're not looking for peace, you're looking for revenge. And then Hudson says... I prefer right. to call it retaliation. Like he's very honest about the fact that his role as this de facto leader of the Maquis, as far as I can tell from this episode, they don't right. really explain exactly what the structure is, is that he's not really looking for a peaceful answer because as far as he's concerned, this war has already started. Right. And they're the ones who have been irreparably harmed in this. And so that's, that's, really what that line brought out for me was again like obviously this was written long before Kimberly Jones gave this speech but to me it really brought out those particular ideas and that last line of that speech has stuck with me as well you have thoughts about peace versus revenge Matt (sighs) do I have thoughts yes can I narrow them down into (laughs) something I can comment on it's difficult um yeah and I mean maybe that's like spoilers the most Star Trek thing about the episode is that it kind of I don't know plays with these things but doesn't really take a stand um when we think about peace and like what peace is and like what it means the simplest definition would be a lack of conflict right whether that's political or you know military or or whatever right like i think that's like the easiest definition which then trickles into just war theory right like is this war is this conflict morally justified yes or no depends who you ask and then you know there's like just part of the part of just war theory is are you acting justly in the war right are you like acting illegally war crimes etc etc but like specific to the idea of peace and what we kind of have like our common definitions of peace who does peace benefit and i think that's one of the questions that isn't explicitly asked in this episode but i think that they kind of push up 
against it because ultimately the conflict that the Maquis are involved in in the demilitarized zone is because both they are victims of someone else's foreign policy right so of this this treaty between these two galactic powers in the federation and the cardassian ending these you know border wars that they were having and and like they're the ones living there and no one asked them and then we're just kind of given up and they were asked to leave and then the compromise was okay you can stay on the cardassian side it's like the king solomon thing right they just cut the baby in half um you can stay on the cardassian side and the cardassians can stay on the federation side etc etc so in trying like cisco's motivations throughout this entire episode are trying to prevent another war but at what cost right right yeah and like and who, yeah, I, sorry, go oh, ahead. Go ahead. no sorry. at what cost and then at, at the expense of who which i think is interesting then when he's having the philosophical debate with kira and kira's fully on team maquis she's like i would have killed Ducat, blah 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 because again her experience during the bajoran occupation there was peace at the expense of you know her planet being strip mined right so right and i i really feel like there's a case to be made for the maquis which i did i will say the one thing this episode did is that it really made me a lot more sympathetic to the maquis in some ways because what seems to be happening is is that they are being killed like there is a there's literally a moment where uh cisco is told or no i guess it's in the the uh when when he walks into the meeting of the the regional council or whatever and they're like three colonists have been killed in retaliation for the bombing of the Bach North like people are dying mm-hmm. right and what the only response they seem to be getting is well it's against the law to fight back so you got to obey the law like it feels very much like that like well you can't break the law the law is the law the law is sacred or whatever mm-hmm. and it feels like they're just like can't you just all get along can't you just leave can't you yeah. just like whatever you know to have peace and so i agree with what you're saying matt this idea of like peace seems to be valued at all costs here including these people who are literally like getting kicked down and killed over and over and over again and then being asked to be the bigger people in this situation and so yeah i mean i think that i did feel a lot more sympathetic towards them in this episode than i did initially i'm just gonna say i agree (laughs) and and like (laughs) what star trek is bringing up i think with the maquis and i don't know if it ever explicitly says this i guess we'll we'll continue to watch and again the slight spoilers the maki come back in in next generation or and then ultimately in deep space nine is what i meant um but like when is violence justified right like that's ultimately what i think where the ideological loghead is between you know, Cisco and, and with Ben and Cal Hudson, where it's like, yeah, one Cal's like, this is, this is a justified response to what has happened to these people and what, what the card, the political machinations and Iran Contra level weapons, secret weapons funding that's, that's going on with the Cardassians. Speaking of the Cardassians representing America, potentially, as we talked about last week, um, (laughs) Like, is, is that a justified response? And, like, Necheyev is saying, no, they're just hotheads that need to, to like, calm down. And Cisco's like, but they have a point, but, like, they can't make their point that way. And it's just, like, kind of trend. How are they supposed to, yeah. though? Uh, exactly. Like, uh, that's what I've been thinking this whole episode. How are they supposed to, though? You've given them literally, yeah. like, you just keep telling them not to do it, but you've given them literally What's, no avenue to... It reminds to... me of when people say, like, you should do peaceful protests, like, because people that, like, for to use yeah. the example with 
Kimberly Jones, what, because black people have been peacefully murdered by the cop? Like, it's, that's not what's happening. And it's not fair to expect one side to be peaceful when the other side is not being peaceful. Right. And it seems like the Federation wants peace so much that they're willing to give, like, an unlimited number of passes to the Cardassians who admit that they were, like, smuggling weapons, even though they, like, pin it all on gold you caught right which we should definitely talk about but yeah it just seems like they're just like willing to give the cardassians all these passes but not their own people right Mm -hmm. who are in there and like i think i put this in the notes but like the whole like like, she even says like they should have just left like as soon as we did the treaty they should have just left and it just had such remarkable like trans people should just leave texas vibes Mm -hmm. which like shows like absolutely no knowledge of how the economics of moving or even like the emotional like toll of moving any of that it doesn't it it doesn't take into account it also reminds me of like there were some people that when like texas I think the governor um, wouldn't do like a mask mandate and stuff and like there would be people saying like oh, this is what you get for, like, voting in these people. Like, it just do better. And it's, like, putting the onus on the people that are disenfranchised to, like, be able to right. change Right, with things. no idea of, like, voter exactly. suppression or or the ways in which, like, yeah. 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 <clears throat> uh. Yeah, I definitely, I was a little bit, it felt like it was a little bit more messy last week. This week, I'm like, it's still very messy, and I don't know what they should do. Right. But not this. <laughs> Whatever it is that they should do, right. it's not this totally. version of it. There's, um, there's like, an interesting quick discussion where um, Gold Ducat talks about how um, trials are done in Cardassia, and that the verdict is known before the trial starts, and... I had in the notes, which I'm going to fully disclose that Matt already is arguing with me, and I appreciate that, that I said it is more (laughs) into how things are done in our society. Um, And I just think it's very interesting, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say that we get at least one episode that's, like, all about, like, a Cardassian trial. Um, But I, just to argue Matt's point that we live in a very unjust <laughs> world and that they, while, well, I mean, you can say what you, I don't want to speak for you, but then I'll say my thing yeah. that I meant afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I mean, like, I think we'll get born like in, uh, was it next week or is it in a couple weeks? Um, I don't remember. More of like an intimate portrait of the Cardassian injustice system. But the idea that the outcome of a Cardassian trial is like predetermined ahead of time. It's like, no, in our current, you know, Western North American society, according to the letter of the law that, that doesn't exist and you're, you're innocent until proven guilty. But like, even before you're convicted with how, um, police refer to, um, people that they they arrest already as as if they are like convicted already right Mm -hmm. um or the way like you know media like reports on them um as one thing or ultimately like when you look at finally like what goes to trial and the type of sentences that are handed out to like a wealthy white person versus Mm -hmm. you know someone who's black right and the wealthy white person might also be able to like settle out of court and (laughs) yeah a hundred percent. Yeah, so. I was about to say, John Oliver just did a really good piece on prosecutors in the U.S. and how, like, ni- like it's in the ni- 90th percentile of prosecutors are white, and that has a huge impact on the cases that get tried versus the cases that don't get tried. And so, like, they talked about, like, the Ahmad Arbery case and how, like, no prosecutor was going to prosecute three men who basically lynched a black right. man in Georgia because they were all like friends like it took media scrutiny for them to finally actually prosecute it so there's a lot of ways in which the u.s justice system is also 
fixed. I don't know as much about the Canadian justice system, Matt, but it's it's not yeah. great here. I, I, I guess say. I will. I should say what I meant was like I got the impression that at the beginning of a Cardassian verdict, like trial, they literally say so and so is guilty. Here's why. So I meant more procedurally rather than right. in right. theory of what supposed to happen. Yeah. Although we could argue that what is supposed to happen is also what happens because they designed it that way. But you know what I mean? I, no, I more no, meant like, no, I totally think yeah. that they literally say so-and-so is guilty at the beginning of the trial. Gotcha. Yeah, I just, I feel like this is just further proof that Cardassian society is a fascist one, which I talked about yeah. last week. And it actually did make me wonder because he says it was such, the thing to remember too, and I you know, I, it's been a while since I've watched TNG and DS9. I'm really looking forward to watching it with Sam um, when we when we get to them later in, you know, however many years <laughs> we get to DS9. But, like, the most of what we know about Cardassia comes from higher-level Cardassian, like, leaders or government officials. I would be really interested to know what dissent looks like in Cardassia. Like, do they have, you know, because it's like it's like the people who are wanting to talk about Russia now, and they talk about Russia in these ways in, that completely elides the fact that there is a significant portion of the Russian population that does not want to be right. at war, and that has and that and that is actually protesting and are working against their government working against corruption you know you have and you've had these even before they attacked ukraine you had massive movements in of dissent in russia so i would be really interested to know like when they talk about these trials it sounds like propaganda to me right. it sounds like oh yeah we put on this show for the people yeah. in order so they can know that their government is taking care of them but i do wonder if there's like a Akira counterpart in Cardassia, you know, someone, you know, people who have like a resistance mm -hmm. movement or do protest, you know, is there a pussy riot in Cardassia? <laughs> like, you know, like what's the, what's it look like yeah. exactly? So, so we know from, there's a, an <laughs> episode that we actually just released this, this week we recorded it actually on, on right before Valentine's day. Cause it's a uh, Star Trek does Casablanca and Quark is the, it's called profit and loss. And it's a, it's a Quark episode and he's reunited with a, a former flame. who's a Cardassian, who's a professor that teaches radical ideas that are then taken up by what, what we only know as a growing dissident movement within Cardassia. And, you know, with the Casablanca, um, illusions and stuff in the episode obviously they're they're on the run from the Cardassian government and, and everything else so we don't we don't know a lot about what that is yet but we know that there are folks in Cardassia I don't know if it's like an armed struggle yet or like you know where that is but there is kind of a growing dissent movement with the Cardassian government and we do know theoretically that how it is structured is you have central command, but you do have some form of a civilian civilian government that seems kind of equal but subservient to um, the military and central command. So I guess there'll be me more on that, and there'll be a thread to watch as we kind of continue through DS Nine for sure. I also oh, yeah sorry. I I was oh, gonna go say, ahead. but we go also ahead. know from that no. episode that the government wants to kill those people. So. Mm -hmm. Yes. The I just think it's interesting because if you listen to Gold Dukat, you would think there was no dissent, that like everybody in Cardassia felt the same way, that you know, like that it's a uniform society. And even if you hear Kira talk about it, you would think that Cardassia was like a uniform like society. Like they're all bad, like all of them. And so and and it makes sense given her her history that she would feel that way. But I do think that that's interesting that we do get a little bit like it just made me wonder, like, usually you don't have societies where there's no dissent, right? Like usually there's that's just not how like people work generally. Mm -hmm. Like 
if 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 you find in science fiction or fantasy a society that's evil without dissent, it means that that person who wrote it is probably racist. <laughs> but like, ah, I see you, know, you have read J.R.R. Tolkien. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did, then we have then we start to have some problems. So yeah, it's just it. The way he said it was just such sureness of like Cardassians don't make mistakes. Yeah. Like we always know the the Cardassian people find this comforting. It's like Do they though? But do they though? <laughs> or is it or is it just you and your friends that find it comforting? Um on sale next week is the first album from Cloaca Riot. Um I think the sorry, I just was thinking what a Cardassian version of Pussy Riot would be. And I decided it would be Cloaca oh, Riot. I'm sorry. Cloaca Riot. I don't know if I pronounced it right. <laughs> I actually, well, I, I muted myself and had to, like, Google how to pronounce that. Because I have only seen the word spelled. <laughs> that was a horrible joke. <laughs> I like okay. it. I um, like it. Oh, I will go. say also he was he was less hot this yeah, episode. <laughs> I I well and I appreciate like the complexity that they tried to add in the last episode, but this episode he was just very shouty. He was very like just shoot them, just kill them. Like that was just it was a lot of shouting right. and not a lot of like actual spy versus spy stuff, which I enjoy. Um, I was excited. I was excited. We got a guest appearance from um, John Shuck, who also played the Klingon ambassador in Star Trek's for the voyage home and six, the undiscovered country. Um, I recognized him solely based on his voice um, when I was watching it. I was like, I know that voice. And then I looked it up and I was right. So I felt very proud of myself. Also a Babylon 5 alum. We touched we touched a bit kind of on the kind of the attitudes yeah. towards the Maquis and kind of our, our initial thoughts and then just more specific to it, I do wanna kinda like pick both of your brains about something that Admiral Nechev, who we see on Next Gen is as well, she's like kind of like I don't know if she's the Starfleet commander in chief, like, but she's pretty pretty up there for, for an admiral. Um and after, before they they retrieve, or I can't remember it's after they retrieve Galdicott. Um, but anyway, she's there and she's like, oh, this Ben, this situation's a mess. Do something with these stupid, hot-headed Maquis. And then she asks about, wouldn't Ben feel better if there were Starfleet security there, right? Because Odo was getting kind of accused of not doing his job. And right. then he like, you know took the crypto off the crypto fash for for a second there about you know how he wants to run the station <laughs> and everything else um he wanted to throw out the handbook yeah ex- exactly um and she's still like questioning whether odo was the best person to lead the security on the station and like to put my finger on the scale a little bit before i throw it back to the both of you i still do think it's like kind of weird that he stayed working for the Bajoran militia and we've talked about this a lot over the last you know however many episodes of this podcast we've done where it's like they hate collaborators <laughs> why does Odo get a pass <laughs> every time yeah exactly so like that's weird to me but I don't know what did what do you two think about Nechev suggesting that the station would be better suited with Starfleet security with the actual fact that it's still a Bajoran station, not a, a Starfleet station. I mean, I thought it made sense that she would question it or at least bring it up because there was a big security breach. And I feel like anytime that happens, you have to be like, okay, like who's at fault here? Like what happened? But it was weird to me that she mentioned his species and didn't know his name. Like she like immediately is like that shapeshifter. And then right. he's like, Odo? She's like, yeah, Odo. <laughs> it just seemed very like, wouldn't you rather have a human? Like, it felt very Ashley and Mass. Effect <laughs> I was going to say, me, like, wouldn't you, wouldn't you, yeah, wouldn't you rather have a human? Like, all these aliens are just like <laughs> roaming around looking at all our uh, stuff. But that, <laughs> that's, that's kind of what this reminded me of it. I, I, 
Odo is such a weird character in the sense that, like, is he Bajoran? Was he a collaborator? Like, what what exactly is his stance? And of course, that without spoiling anything, that becomes much more muddy later in the series. But like, it it is a little weird that she's questioning it without knowing anything about like the situation because weirdly Kira seems fine with it. Like she's like, okay with him being in charge of the station. It's the Starfleet people who are concerned. I would agree that it is, um, confused, a little confusing, but I also think that it is a, I do think it's a Bajoran station. It should have, Someone Bajor chooses as the security person. But, like, most of it, I'm just brain empty. He has Inspector Gadget arms. Like, (laughs) Yeah, that was really fun. (laughs) I literally did, like, Inspector Gadget Leo point. Um, You know, to your point, Matt, earlier about the budget of things, it really felt like the second part got most of the budget. (laughs) They were like, okay, we're going to have Odo do a thing. And we're going to have a space battle. But we only have enough money for one of each of those things. Yeah. And they're going to happen in the second episode. Yeah. <laughs> um. I think I put this later in the notes. But did anyone else feel really weird about that scene with Quark and Odo and Cisco, Where Odo arrests Quark... Because he was seen hanging out with a Vulcan woman. And they know that a Vulcan woman kidnapped Dukat. And then they basically threatened to imprison him indefinitely based on that extremely circumstantial (laughs) evidence. Like, I don't know how the legal system works in Starfleet. We've played very fast and loose with that over the years. (laughs) uh, I kind of felt like... And I don't think that it was a funny joke, but I kind of felt like when Odo asked Cisco, how long should I keep him here? And he said forever that he was like, he really meant like, until I say otherwise, which is still not good. Don't get me wrong. But I don't think he like literally meant forever. Um, It's still well, not yeah, good. And, of course- and I don't disagree with your assessment of it. But I don't, I think he was trying to right, make it, it a just- joke. And I don't think... Um, jokes about locking people in jail cells are very amusing. Yeah, and I I felt like Quark immediately when it is explained to him what was going on, not only offers to help them, but has a really good argument for why he's helping them with Sakona. So it doesn't make sense to me that they would need to use this amount of intimidation against him in order to get him to do it. But also, like, again, did Odo arrest him based on the fact that somebody saw him hanging out with a Vulcan woman? Like, that's the thing that gets me. It's like, what evidence exactly did you have to, like, bring him in and intimidate him in this way? Like, you didn't have evidence that he had sold weapons. You didn't have you didn't even know he had sold her weapons, like, at that point. I didn't even get the. That seems real sketch. Based on their interaction, I didn't even get the impression it was like. Oh, he just wanted to talk to his boyfriend. Like, it wasn't even, like, a cutesy interaction to, like, make it entertaining. Yeah. It was just bad. Can Odo just can Odo just arrest anyone he wants? Like, what are the... What's the rules here, you know? Maybe he threw out the handbook for the second half. <laughs> yeah. No, it's... I did like that we get the third rule of acquisition, I though. I already this, forgot what it was. Great. <laughs> I'm the worst. Don't pay more for something than you have to. I'm paraphrasing, but that is basically <laughs> someone's going to write into our show that Tessa did not read the exact definition of the rule of acquisition number three of the rules of acquisition. <laughs> um, I thought for a minute he was going to quote the war is good for war. What is it? War is good for business. business. And then the yeah, next war is good is for business. Peace is good for business or something. Peace like is that. good for yeah. business. Yeah. I thought that was going to be what we were doing, but no. So I did find it super interesting that like Legat Parn, who was the actor that also played the Klingon ambassador in, or sorry, was played by the actor John Shuck that was by John Shuck, yeah. in um, those two Star Trek movies was um, 
yeah, so I got that turned around in that sentence. Um, <laughs> that their whole plan was basically just to blame all of this on Golducott. And there's a part where Golducott kind of says, does he say that he, like, isn't surprised that his, or he expected his relationship with Central to Command to, like, go poorly after the, um, after the, um, occupation, but I don't remember if he, like, said why, or if it's just to be understood that, like, he did things that they didn't like, but it just... He says that there are people in the government that thought that he should have killed all the Bajorans, like, committed, like, finished the genocide, okay, so they thought basically, he was before nice. leaving. <laughs> yeah, which to me was, like, one, horrible, yeah. but two, also, like, did you say that with a straight face to Cisco, like, you were expecting a pat on the back? <laughs> Good job like, not killing everyone. Like, oh, such everyone. a hero, you didn't, you didn't kill everybody. <laughs> like, the way he said it is supposed to make him sound like, oh, he's not yeah. as bad, but I'm like, wait a minute. Like, no, like, that is not the bar that you want to clear. I think that's part of one of the scenes where I kind of zoned out a little bit, so I, I had missed that. But, like, I do think, I think that that was maybe one too many people that we were supposed to not trust in this episode. Like, it felt a little too twisty-turny for me, where it was like... Okay, so now they just want him to like get, they're everyone everyone except for Ben is wants this guy to just get killed by like let the Maki deal with him. Even Kira. Let the Maki with Kira I kind of I get it. Um I understand where she's coming from. But it just feels like I don't know. Yeah, it's it's like one too many like twists and turns. Yeah. And like I think I think Cardassians secretly are like smuggling in weapons already happened in the three-part episode when they were actually back right and they actually mentioned that in part one yeah i think it came up in this one too because like because ducats is something cisco like this other alien race i can't remember their name they're they do it too but haven't got caught yet or whatever like the lesapiens did yeah um so i just think it was just like i don't know i just this is where the episode starts to kind of lose me a little yeah. when it's just into okay, and then we're gonna go here, yeah, and then we're do this, and then it's gonna be a space battle, and blah 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 blah. It's like yeah, kind of felt like yeah. season seven of Game of Thrones where they just were jumping from here from every other place. Like there was a way too much traveling happening in this episode. It just felt like they were on the fake Dagobah planet, and then they were back at the space station, and then they were this other place where the Maquis was meeting, and I don't know where that was. And then they're back on the space station again, and it was just, like, too much. It was too much. There's Yeah, too much jumping around. It did really feel to me, like, when he admits this, but then, like, shuffles off the blame on Gold Ducat, it seemed a lot like a Cold War move, like, this idea of, like, mm-hmm. Well, we actually really do want to keep fighting this war. We just can't afford to, so we're gonna fight it through proxies um, mm-hmm. in the in the DMZ. And that also got me thinking again, like the descent issue. Like, I wonder how the Cardassian colonists feel because the only perspectives we're getting are like the Maquis and the Federation colonist side of it. It'd be really interesting to know not how the Cardassian central command feels about it but how their actual colonists feel about it so that that was another question i had is like we're not hearing from a really significant part of this conversation i wonder if a year from now if this keeps going and this is based on like i don't remember what happened so i honestly like i'm making this up if like we see the maquis again and there's cardassian people like having joined because they felt the same way and like realizing that both governments are kind of fucking them over i also have to say kira is great in this not because she does particularly a lot of things (laughs) although she has more lines than most of the other characters (laughs) but because that scene where the admiral leaves and cisco just like shouts the speech at her and you can tell the entire time that she agrees with everything he's saying like it's a real preaching to the choir moment and she just has it's great acting uh where she just has this look on her face of like why are you yelling at me? <laughs> like, I agree with you. Right. And I I thought that was great. I just, her lived experience just at, lends a really good lens to this episode as well. Like, somebody who has lived under occupation, who even, yeah, with Ducat, it'd be really hard, I think, for 
even though Cisco, it's weird because I've been watching a lot of ER recently, and there's a episode of ER where uh, they bring up the age-old question, which has been brought up in Grey's as well, of what do you do if you're a doctor and you have to treat someone truly horrible, right? Like a serial killer or a rapist or like a murderer or something like, and the answer is you have to treat them because doctors cannot have that kind of power of judging and executing someone, right? Like that is absolutely not okay for a doctor to have that problems with the justice system aside, doctors should not be the ones making those kinds of decisions. And I kind of felt like that's where Cisco was coming from when he rescued uh, Ducat is that it's like, well, like, I obviously don't think he's a good person, but like it's not our job to to make those kinds of decisions. I felt like Kira though is kind of like actually it kind of is our job because nobody else is going to make him punish like be punished for this. And so it's just it was just really interesting the ways in which she really understood the Maquis, even though she's obviously not part of the conversation the same way that Hudson is, for an example. While the mind meld of Gold Ducat did not work. Um, it really brought back this uncomfortable scene in an episode of Enterprise I was recently watching. The Enterprise comes across this group of Vulcans that are a little bit different. To Paul explains that they are kind of shunned because they don't believe in Kolinar, so they don't purge their emotions and he's trying to teach her to paul that this is okay and he does this mind meld on her and halfway through she doesn't like what's happening and asks him to stop and like he won't and it's very creepy and like i just full stop unwanted mind melds are an invasion of the mind and body so complete assault to me so even though it doesn't work on Golducat, it creeps me out a lot that someone would try to do this yeah totally agree and like again my personal fave spock is also guilty of this with valeris in in star trek 6 and it's one of those moments that doesn't really hold up so we get some ducat and cisco team-ups which is funny because so they're gonna try to team up and stop the smuggling and the maquis but like they have such different ideologies on how to get this done like, we kind of touched on this before, that Cisco wants to, like, talk everyone down and, and Ducat's just, like, shoot everyone. Yeah, he's not, Ducat just does not have so very much nuance in this. He's very, yeah. like, kill them. Kill them all. <laughs> like, I, and, like, whenever they, like, can't get information out of Sarkana, he's like, I could talk to her. And they're like, no, <laughs> you'll torture her. So, yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, he just wasn't, I wasn't feeling him as much this in this part he just seemed like a like a role to mash up against cisco right for for cisco to kind of play off of yeah i think it's trying to do some kind of like compare and contrast with them but like it it was doing it better in the first episode like like they didn't give ducat a lot to do so like it wasn't there wasn't much to um right it was like a more boring good cup bad cup I don't know. The, the space battle, I mean, okay, Star Trek is not known for its super exciting space battles, but this one seemed particularly boring <laughs> to me. I honestly I don't know if you felt the same way. I don't remember it, so I also thought it was boring and I watched it twice. So I just wasn't feeling the tension. Uh, I think I wrote in the notes, the whole farewell scene between Ben and Hudson is actually really touching. Like I was like, Oh, I was really bored. And now I'm like emotional because they're like saying goodbye to each other. I love when Hudson is like, send someone else next time. It feels wrong fighting with you in this way. It reminded me a lot of Magneto and professor X and like the way that these two, these two people care about each other a lot, but they have such a, like an insurmountable difference of opinion, not just opinion, but philosophy that is causing them to be separated in this way. um, I have more, not specifically about Magneto and professor X, but your comments on this um, are very much involved in my thirst section. Um, choice. So when we get to that, I will. I'm excited. I'm excited to know. Like, how do we feel about him letting his friend go real quick? I mean, I got it. 
because I don't think he could have taken Hudson in without killing him. So it's understandable that he wouldn't want to do that. And that this is not, it hadn't escalated really to the point where he had to do that. That makes sense. I don't know. For for me, it for me it felt right. It felt natural that he would, especially because Cisco, I think, has so much sympathy for the Maquis. He doesn't necessarily agree with what the Federation is doing. It doesn't seem worth killing your friend over. Yeah, and I I I liked that he didn't even tell the Federation that Hudson was involved. I mean, they'll probably find out anyway because you know people talk. But like, I kind of like that he didn't rat on his friend either. Yeah, I feel like after that, he probably would have to, like, report them to still have his job, like, realistically. But, like, when he thought he could still kind of broker some kind of peace and could, like, before there was, like, the point of no return of them, like, attacking the Federation and losing their Federation citizenship and everything else, like... Yeah, but at least, like, he kind of gave his friend, like, time to get away. I'll give you a 30-minute head start. (laughs) I also tacked this on at the end, but Bashir has one line in this entire Isn't that episode. More than a death? And it's him. And it's yeah. No, I think she maybe has some like I'm just explanation obnoxious. lines or something. But yeah, he's just I laughed so hard. Actually I had a pause it. I was laughing so hard. It's like I don't even remember exactly what he says, but he's just the way he performs it is so confused because he's asking a question so O'Brien can explain something. Yeah. But he's just the way he asked it is so confused and breathless and just like it's so like weirdly like twinkish <laughs> like the way he says it. I don't even know if it's like uh, an adjective that I should use in this situation, but he just like says it in such a like like like. And then what happens, like, sort of way that I just, like, and it, I know he's, like, trying to play it, like, like seriously, right. but I, I couldn't help but laugh. It was just a very funny performance of the one line that he had. Yeah, so we've been been talking for a bit now. We've kind of gone into it. We flirted with Just War Theory and everything else. So, I don't know. I'm, I feel like I could use some some altar water i need my thirst quench so tessa mm-hmm. we'll start with you who are you thirsting for this up ep- this week on deep space nine even though she's only in a couple scenes i'm still feeling sakona mm-hmm. especially after the debate with quirk not gonna lie good debate i i hope you know i know that we don't really s- i don't think we see her after this maybe i'm wrong but like i sometimes i i Based on the scene, I hope that those two crazy kids work it out. You know, like I'm, I'm here for it. I feel like they could still salvage a relationship based on mutual oh, respect. I think so. You know, she's she's not trying to use him for weapons anymore. You know, <laughs> is it using I'm into someone? It. I'm into it if they know about it <laughs> and they're like <laughs> he he also didn't seem to mind. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't think Quark seems to mind either, but they seem like they'd be a little bit more on equal yeah. footing at this point. But I also just really loved her dress. Still rocking the dress, even when she's interrogating someone in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> always gotta, always gotta probably was appreciate that. Cave. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Matt? Um, I would just like to co-sign all of that. Um, <laughs> Because maybe when it's deep down, I'm I'm a quark, and I, just, I also like strong femmes. Who's to say? Not me. Elise, what about you? Okay, so hear me out. Ben like oh no, <laughs> Ben lets Calvin go at the end of the episode. I just feel like mm-hmm. they probably catch up every few years in like a cat and mouse type situation where. Hudson's up to no good and Cisco has to like stop him in like a dramatic and emotional they do this for the rest of their lives type of situation. And that having now read what Tessa had said or heard what Tessa had said, it feels very Magneto and Professor X to me. (laughs) Very Magneto and Professor X, perhaps also Eve and Villanelle from Killing Eve. Oh yeah, totally. Just, Yeah. Definitely. All right. And now more most Star Trek thing. Elise, we'll start with you. What was your candidate for most Star Trek thing in the episode? That I was bored a little bit by some of it. That was about it. 
There's a lot of talking. Yeah. That is very Star Trek. <laughs> Tessa, what about you? I I wrote a captain going rogue against bad orders, but now that I'm like thinking about it, I'm not sure like going rogue is even appropriate to say here because like he wasn't even really given that specific of an order. <laughs> it was more like figure it out. But it still works though as the most Star Trek thing because I do think that there is a theme in Star Trek, especially in TOS and Next Gen and DS9, where it's like the captain is like the boots on the ground, right? Like they're the ones who are actually seeing the situation. They understand how complex it is, like what all the, like what all the stakes are and the people who are higher up in the Federation or in Starfleet, I should say, don't necessarily understand that. And so they will a lot of times like give an order or give a direction that doesn't really take into account those nuances. And so we often see captains interpreting orders in ways in which they probably were not meant, which I think is kind of what's happening here with Cisco, where he's doing some things that are probably not according to Starfleet regulation or, you know, all the way up to Kirk just saying like, no, that's a bad order. I'm not going to do that. So, you know, there's, there's degrees of going rogue, I guess, with Starfleet captains, but we're definitely seeing a boots on the ground. I'm going to do this in a way that I think is best and not necessarily the way that the Admiral would like me to. That makes sense. Although I was thinking while you were saying that, that that also feels very much like the corporate world when like the CEO makes choices and then the person who actually has to do that part is like, none of this makes sense. See, I was thinking uh, Good Omens, which has kind of a similar, like, Crowley and Aziraphale oh, are both representatives that. of... Oh, okay. Well, they're both representatives of heaven and hell respectively and heaven and hell don't necessarily understand earth that well but they've been living on earth for so long that they actually understand each other more than they understand mm. the people back home and so like that's that's kind of what i was thinking of in this sense. situation matt what about you yeah i kind of mentioned it before but i think it's they're using the plot point of the cardassian smuggled weapons and i mean they admitted in the episode but again we've See reused kind of plot points like even TOS Kirk out logics a computer, the computer smokes it's it's done up, right and things like that. Um, <laughs> a strange probe enters the galaxy <laughs> like that. Even in the movies that gets reused a right? couple of times. Exactly, um, and yeah, I, I know the show is like doing like kind of yeoman's work and setting up the the Maquis and kind of plot points for the other universe so that's again reminded me of mentioned it last week the season six two-parter chain of command which kind of reintroduces the cardassian as a cardassians as a as a big bad before ds9 premieres um yeah i had some other stuff in the notes but it's not exactly appropriate so it doesn't matter (laughs) (laughs) all right well tessa thank you so much for for signing up for two weeks in a row this has been great we are thank you for having me thank you for allowing me to talk this much about (laughs) ds9 it's great yeah it's been a lot of fun and you know that you're welcome anytime and before your next appearance on this podcast (laughs) whenever that may be where can folks find more of you on the internet you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Suela Tessa. Suela is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. You can find me. I have two other podcasts. One is the Monkey Off My Backlog podcast. You can find that on Twitter at Monkey Backlog. We usually, our first episode of the week is a pop culture productivity podcast where we talk about things that have been on our list forever that we finally have crossed off. But we do have a second episode every week where Sam and I take turns making each other watch different shows. Sam Watches Star Trek is currently happening right now. I think, I'm not sure when this episode comes out actually, so I shouldn't say, but we have been releasing episodes on the Star Trek films I think we've recorded all the way up through Star Trek Four at this point, cool. so I don't know if that'll all be out by the time this comes out. But this should be out. That is where we are currently. In a few weeks. Okay. Yeah. So at some between films one and six, like there may be any number of episodes <laughs> of those particularly out by then. 
you can also find me on my other podcast, Nanny Ogg's Book Club, where my co-host Nigel and I are reading all 41 of Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels. You can find that on Twitter at Nanny's Book Club and on Instagram at Nanny Ogg's Book Club. Nice. And you, Elise, where can folks find more of you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi, E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. And you, Matt? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at at Mattyhue, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can catch Elise and I together on Twitter and Instagram at PodRates. You can also email us at PodRates at gmail.com. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcasting system of your choice. And thanks again to GJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time, computer and program. Bye.